this morning, Romans 10. Romans 10, and let's do a smart thing. Why don't we pray here real quick? Uh, Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now as always, Lord. We pray that you would be among your people, that you would uh, send your spirit to teach us, to guide us, help us to take what is taught here this morning and absorb it into our own lives. Amen. All right. Our message here this morning is that we're going to be finishing up, uh, I think we're finishing up, continuing our study here in Romans and we left off last week in Romans 10, verse 8, and we're going to pick it up there in verse 8. We're going to hopefully, Lord willing, try and get into John um, verse 17, continuing our verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter study through the Bible. Now, topic today is one of the uh, most straightforward ones in all Christianity, spreading the gospel. But for some reason, it's also the one that makes us squirm the most. Because I think what happens with this type of thing is it's really easy to come to church and just say, I'm going to come and I will sit, I will listen, I'll be fed, I'll do the worship, I'll maybe even every now and then serve in a couple places. But don't expect me when I leave this building to then to go home and do something with it. And so when you hear a message today where it's pretty straightforward here, what God wants us to do in Romans 10, the idea of going out and spreading the gospel, we start getting a little uncomfortable because let's be honest, we all know people that are there may be people in this place who are just complete. We all know this. And so now we feel this responsibility to go out and say something to them. Yeah, that's like awkward. That's really awkward because what happens if they don't like it? What happens if they don't want to hear it? What happens if it doesn't go well? I have to work with these people. I have to live with these people. I have to be around these people on a regular basis. So you want me to burn a bridge with them by telling them about Christ. So then it doesn't go well. And then I'm forced to deal with this for whatever. No. Because in the world that we live in, the only eternal thing that matters is whether someone's going to heaven or whether someone's going to hell. That's the only thing that matters. We get ourselves so worked up over so many little things that have no eternal ramifications in any way whatsoever. And sometimes we get worked up on things that we think are big things, really big things, and this is really important. We really have to take a stand on this. We really have to do this. And really what it comes down to is, no, is that person saved or not saved? That is all that matters. So what we see here in Romans 10 is the pure simple straightforwardness of where are we standing with the Lord and then what are we doing about that. Now, last week we left off in verse 8, and the last verse that we talked about was the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And we talked about how God is near us. We use that passage from the book of James. Let's, let's draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we talked about how if we're feeling empty in life, if we're feeling depressed in life, we're feeling discouraged in life, we have to stop and ask ourselves, are we near the Lord? Because if we're not near the Lord in life, going to feel pretty empty and we're going to be around pretty sad. So as we draw near to God through prayer and being in the Word and being involved, there is a blessing that comes out of this and there's a closeness with the Lord that comes out of that. So that's how we left off there. But here's the other part of verse 8. As you draw near to God, He draws near to us. But look at the last part here of verse 8. That is the Word of faith which we preach. See, as we draw near to God, the assumption is that we're supposed to then go out and start preaching. No one likes a preacher. No one does. But like it or not, guys, you're preachers. You're called to preach. Now, when we think of preachers, we usually think of some old guy pointing his finger at us, telling us everything we do is wrong. The word preach literally just means to proclaim. So when you're preaching, you're just proclaiming truth. You're proclaiming who Jesus is. Well, what are you proclaiming? Well, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a good thing to proclaim. What a good thing to preach. This idea of what? salvation is. Confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple as that. One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes out of the book of Corinthians where it talks about the simplicity of Jesus. How simple is it? The idea of what it means to be saved. And the first thing that they do, that which goes back to the discipleship class, is the first discipleship class, 
it talks about what is your salvation authority there. And then we also go through discipleship, getting to the point of being able to share the gospel effectively. And I don't want to use the word quickly, because that sounds wrong, but maybe the better word is efficiently. Now, you have to think, if someone came up to me and said, how does someone get into heaven? And we explain that efficiently and quickly. This is one of the questions I see Christians struggle over most. Now, they can explain it eventually, but what happens is something that should be a pretty straightforward answer becomes like a two-hour dissertation on heaven and hell and grace and mercy. Look how simple verse 9 is one more time. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Someone comes up to you, how, how does one get saved? Well, you know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Even simpler than that is if you go to Acts 8, where the Ethiopian asks Philip, how is one saved? Philip says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The problem is we hear that and say, that's just an easy answer. That, that obviously works. Now, for you that are thinking it's too easy, yes, those words confess, those words believe, have an easy answer. If you go ask the majority of Americans, do you believe in God? I think the last poll I saw said close to 80% of Americans believe in God. Well, if 80% of Americans are Christians, there's some deep trouble in that house. Uh, but a lot of people believe in God. The problem with that, you guys know the answer to some of what they're saying. They say, well, believe in Satan. Well, believe in God. If you'd go ask Satan, I don't encourage you to do that, but if you go ask him, do you believe in God? He says, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yeah. Do you believe the only way to get to heaven is Jesus? Yeah. They believe all that. They know all that. So what does it mean to confess and believe? Well, this word confess there in verse 9 means to agree with. And believe means to entrust. See, Believe does not mean just to merely acknowledge that God exists. Believe means to place your trust in that knowledge. Confess means to agree with. So when you're saying that you confess the Lord Jesus, it means that you are agreeing with Christ. You are agreeing with what he says. The reason we are called Christians is because we're followers of Christ. Followers of Christ believe what Jesus said. So therefore, when we confess the Lord Jesus, we're saying, I agree with what Christ said. Now, this is what I run into sometimes. I run into people that say, well, I do that. I believe in Jesus. It's just all that other stuff in the Bible I don't really get into. Now, I love it when they answer that way because they just walk into a pit, and they don't even realize it. You know, they just walk right into it. It's like, so you, you like what Jesus said? Yeah, I thought Jesus was a good guy. You know, good person there. I like what he said. I believe in him, but it's the rest of that stuff. And I usually say, well, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said the whole of the book is written about him. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. So if Jesus himself said the whole of the book is written about me, that means from Genesis to Revelation, it's so important to know what the Bible says. And the other thing about Jesus is, if you like Jesus, he came right out and said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty simple and straightforward. I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating. I remember years ago watching one of those talking head shows where they have all the different opinions of people and the one commentator. And it was the subject was about religion and Christianity, and they had the one guy on the panel that was a Christian. Now, generally speaking on those shows, the one guy on the panel that's a Christian really isn't that good of a Christian. This guy was good. This guy was real good. And so he was the only believer, all these other non-believers, and he mentioned that passage, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I remember those other talking heads saying, oh, I don't think Jesus would like it if you would say that. And they didn't even realize that he was quoting what Jesus said. So if Jesus himself said, I'm the only way to get to heaven, he's being pretty straightforward there. So to confess the Lord Jesus means that you are saying, I agree with Christ. So when someone claims to be a Christian, they're claiming to be a follower of Christ, which therefore is agreeing with Jesus said, which Jesus himself said, I'm the only way to get to heaven. Jesus talked about hell all the time. Now that's taboo today because if you talk about hell, people want to leave. But Jesus talked about hell all the time. Jesus talked about sin all the time. So to confess Christ 
way to get to heaven for all of eternity is to accept Christ. That was what he said. And if you believe that, as it says there in verse 9, believe means to place your trust in it. It doesn't mean I just acknowledge that those facts are true. It means I am placing my life in this trust, in this belief, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And therefore, those sins have to be dealt with. And if those sins aren't dealt with, therefore, that person goes to hell. Now, that's black and white and easy, straightforward, but that's Christianity in a nutshell. We water down that truth of the gospel. We're watering down hell. Because most people don't mind it if you talk about God. Oh, God cares, though. God cares. You know, if you just pray to God, he will be with you and help you through. God loves you so much. We like those concepts. That's very generic. When I talk about God, you can then take that as any way you want. Just call him God. But we just use and talk about Allah, the Lord, the Christian view, because then it's really nice and simple. But as soon as you say Jesus, guess what happens? Jesus himself said, I've brought division to the world. So if you want to make friends... And you want to be popular at work, be the nice guy. Because God loves you. And he's going to help you. People will accept you. And there's good to that. I don't want to take away from that. But as soon as you start mentioning Jesus and eternity and heaven and hell, it's amazing how many people don't want to put a blemish there. But do we truly believe verse 9? That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. If we believe that, that impacts our life. So therefore, going back to verse 8, I want to proclaim that truth. If that has impacted me, I want to proclaim that. The gospel has so changed me that I want to see others changed by the gospel. If I have been impacted by the gospel, I want to see other people get impacted by that as well. Now, the truth of the matter is not trying to step on toes. If you haven't been impacted by the gospel, you're kind of sitting here saying, what's the big deal? The big deal is this is what changes lives. The big deal, this is what pulls people out of hell and into heaven. That's the big deal. So often what we do in life does not have many eternal ramifications, be it yes or no. Sleeping in for 10 extra minutes usually doesn't make that big a deal. Doing the dishes before you go to bed usually doesn't make that big a deal. Somebody going to heaven or hell, that's an eternal consequence. That carries a much deeper thing. And this is why it's such a vital thing for us to not only understand it, but to also go out and live it and teach it and live it. So if this is such a simple, straightforward thing, why is it so hard for us to do? It's awkward sometimes. Sometimes you do burn bridges. Sometimes you look like the idiot, according to the world. Because the Bible at the same point, it's full of concepts. Excuse me, not the Bible, the world, I should say. Same point, it's full of concepts. And, and sometimes as Christians, let's be honest, we are full of concepts. You're talking to someone who's a Christian, the concepts that come up, it's like, seriously, why are Christians so complicated? Have you ever looked around? Not, not at this church, but other churches. But I'm saying, there is a strangeness. And the Bible makes it clear in Corinthians that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. That's hard. And sometimes we do dumb things. And sometimes we do dumb things in the name of Jesus with a good heart and good intent. I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating. I remember a few years ago, for some reason, I was in, I was in Target with Dawn, and uh, I was by myself, and I was there in Target. You may remember the story. And I saw this guy sitting by himself in the food court. And he was one of those people, I'm not being judgmental, but you could just tell he's probably not the social type person and was probably not the popularity type person. He's sitting there all by himself. And I just, my heart really hurt for him. So I decided I really felt... Maybe I should go over and try to talk to him, share with him. I don't know. So I went over and I, and I sat down beside him. He's sitting there eating, and I didn't have anything, and I just sat down. And I, and I looked at him, and I was kind of you know, expecting the Lord to start up something. Um, he got up and moved. And so <laughs> I'm just this totally true story. And then I thought, Lord, this one's playing hard to get. Um, so I followed him. I went and I sat down beside him one more time. Now, looking back, I really don't know what I was doing, but at the time I thought I was led. So I sat down beside him again. He kind of looked at me, I looked at him, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, he didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. 
And so I start trying to make small talk, start a conversation, didn't really go anywhere. Dawn, who had been sitting next to me, saw this. And so I go, Dawn, what, what were you doing? And I said, well, I felt the Lord was, was maybe leading. She goes, no, sweetie, that's just having therapy. And so, and nothing came out of it. And I shared that story a few years ago, and someone came up to me after church and goes, well, she probably thought you were hitting on her or something like that. So, but, but the point is, you know, we have those moments where it doesn't go good. And you, you share the gospel, and it just, crickets start chirping. You share the gospel, they get angry. You share the gospel, and they just, I, just sometimes it doesn't feel good. So what, we reach a point of saying, I just don't want to do it. We try to spend most of our lives staying out of awkward, uncomfortable situations. And here, this idea of preaching, God says, I want you to jump right in the middle of awkward, uncomfortable situations. Because you love that person so much, you're willing to take a stand and say, I care enough about you. I don't want to see sin bring you down to hell for all of eternity. Now, that's why we go out, as it says in verse 8, and we preach. This means we proclaim. We proclaim the truth. Look at verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The gospel affects my heart, so since it affects my heart, it now affects my mouth. So therefore, I want to go confess salvation. Jesus has made such a change in my life, therefore I want to go tell people about him. That's how it works. And unless the gospel has impacted you personally, how will you ever want to go tell other people about it? Because it's not something we have to force. It's not something that we have to work on. It's something where, Lord, I just want an opportunity to tell people about you because you've done so much for me. Think about what you talk about all the time. What you talk about all the time is what you treasure. The Bible says in uh, Matthew 15 that out of the mouth, Proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what you constantly talk about is what's important. And I mean this in a good way, not in a complaining way. If you find somebody that's constantly talking about work and, and what they do and how much they enjoy or whatever, their work is important to them. They treasure it. If you find someone constantly talking about their kids, their kids are important. They treasure that. Oh, their spouse. Their spouse is important. They're treasuring that. Well, the gospel is important to us. We treasure that. So let's talk about it. Let's not make it awkward. Let's not make it uncomfortable. Let's not walk around with the billboard over us with bullhorn saying we're going to hell. No. Let's just share the gospel. Let's share and proclaim the truth. What does the gospel mean? The gospel means good news. Let's just share it. Here's the problem when it comes to sharing it. There's one group that likes to share it in words, but then their lifestyle doesn't back it up. Now, we have a word for that. That's called being a hypocrite. Is you'll go out there in words, and definitely I've seen people do this. They're constantly talking about the Lord and constantly talking about things. But the problem is their lifestyle isn't backing it up. A few years ago, we had a situation where I ran into some people from the community, and they knew about us and were asking some questions about the church, and they wanted to possibly come out. And I said, hey, come out here for a minute. And they said, hey, does, does so-and-so go out there? I said, well, I mean, yeah. I said, I know who you're talking about. I said, this person just popped out to the Reverend Mondo. And I said, you know, I'm familiar with them. I said, why? I said, well, so-and-so told me about the Lord. I said, well, why? They said, well, they kind of run in the same circle. And this guy has a tendency at some of these parties to go out and get totally wasted, get totally drunk. And as he's totally drunk, he goes around and tells everybody what he thinks. And they said, that's what we preach. And I thought, you know what? What a way to have the words but not the life. To go around at the parties and be totally wasted and telling everybody what you think. Isaiah 29 says this. These people draw near me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. But their heart, they have removed their heart far from me. Listen to this one more time. These people draw near me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. This is not a passage to try to step on your toes. This is an honest passage to say the words may be right, but it's the lifestyle backing up the words. 
as we hear all the time, actions speak louder than words. We can say everything right about the truth and the gospel, but yet unless our lifestyle is backing up as part of our witness, what good does it do? The flip side of that is I've run into people that have an impeccable lifestyle. They don't ever tell people about the Lord. And they, they quote St. Thomas Aquinas where it says, you know, uh, how, did, how did he word it? He goes, uh, witness, 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 and if you have to, use words. Now, I like that. That's a good phrase. I think there's a lot of truth into that. I, I wish at work as Christians that we would be the epitome of what a good worker is supposed to be. Showing up on time, doing a good job, working as if working for the Lord, not for man. That we'd have that lifestyle. That we're not the ones sharing the stories we, that everybody else is talking about. We're not getting involved in the crew team. We're not putting down our spouses, etc. But we're trying to live the lifestyle. And that lifestyle is great. But with that lifestyle comes also being the words to say, this is why I live my life this way. We need to have the balance of both. You need to have the words of knowing what you believe, why you believe, how you believe it. Then also following that up with now my lifestyle matches that truth. And that is what we want is that packaged deal of both. Because when you have that, then you can see in verse 10, my heart believes, which then brings righteousness into my heart through Christ on the cross who died for my sins. And therefore, then my mouth wants to go confess salvation. My mouth wants to tell people about the Lord. I know it. I hear it. I believe it. And now I want to tell people that what God has done for me and what Christ has done for me. Now, that brings me to the second point. Because obviously, those things that are vital to the kingdom and the things that are vital to the gospel are also amazing we all have a jesus that fits us you can talk to the priest and just for weeks go by and they ask what do you do for a living and what do you say and they're like boy this weather february isn't this amazing weather for february oh isn't that a good can i throw my pants away because i like that and it's comfortable we're not pushing limits it's not awkward as soon as jesus comes up they could forget about it and once again we try to as much in life to stay out of awkward uncomfortable situations but yet that conversation about christ is the only conversation we're going to have with people who need to hear the gospel there's different types of evangelism. There's what I call the hardcore evangelism. You just, it's pretty straightforward. Go to heaven, go to hell. Jesus is the only way for you to get to heaven. If you choose to reject Jesus through your sin, you go to hell. God loves you, but that's the law. That's pretty straightforward. And once again, sometimes that works real well, and other times that's not where the Lord's leading. There's also other times, too, where the Lord is saying plant seeds. You're planting seeds into their life. And you're planting seeds into their life of, of, of love. You're planting seeds into life of, hey, we're here for you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. I've seen both ways. But ultimately, no matter how you go about spreading the gospel, it may be five minutes straight, it may be over the next five, six months, no matter how you go about spreading it, there has to be the subject here. And as we look in verse 10, I'm going to bring this word up one more time, righteousness, you have to get to the point of what you're saying about them. And this is the one thing that I see in Christianity that we seem to have a tendency to shy away from as Christians. We're afraid to tell people that they are a sinner. We'll tell them God loves them. We'll tell them that Jesus died for them. We'll tell them that God wants them to have a blessed life, a full life, and the Lord wants to decide that they may have joy and have it more abundant. But sometimes we don't mention the fact that we're still sinners. The problem with that is you talk to somebody and you say, you know what, there's a hole in your heart, and God can come fill that hole. Jesus died on the cross that you may have life and may have joy, and your life will be abundant in the Lord. Somebody sits there and says, Sorry, that really doesn't apply to me. So uh, go to that person that's on the street that's really their life is falling apart, and you tell them about joy, because they need to hear joy. I'm pretty happy. Then we walk away from that saying, what? You know what everybody deals with? Sin. And that sin has to be dealt with. And just as the sin was dealt with in our life, 
texting after you've got what's in your life. Because look at this. What do we get out of this? Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you catch that in verse 11, we don't have any more sin. See, we all have a sin problem. But through Christ, that sin problem is taken care of. And we don't have any more sin. If you go to Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4. See, here, what you see with this is if anybody can talk about the apostle Paul. For you that don't remember Paul's background, he's the one that before he got saved, he could have wound up Christians and had them killed. If anybody had baggage in their life, it was Paul. If anybody would look at themselves in the spiritual mirror of life and say, I can't, I can't live like Jesus died because I'm the one that went back to hell and killed Christians and killed. Now, a lot of you came into this service today and you brought baggage. I don't think any of you used to when you prayed your five minutes that you went back and killed. If you did, we need to talk. But the point is, we all have this type of past that comes in. Paul had a bigger past than most of us. Look here at Philippians 3, verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Let me paraphrase this passage. First of all, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect, but I keep moving forward. Now, isn't that not us? I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect, but I keep moving forward. As Paul said, I have not obtained perfection. See, here's the problem. Why don't a lot of us tell people about the Lord? Because as soon as I start telling people how to live their life in Christ, I look at my life and say, who am I to share anything? How about this? How about I, I just get them into church? And once I get them into church, you, you tell them about the Lord. We're the preacher. Haven't we already established the fact that we're all preachers? What is the main purpose of church? We've shared this with us numerous times. The main purpose of church is not necessarily non-believers coming in and getting saved. The main purpose of church is for believers to come in, have a time of corporate worship, a time of corporate teaching, a time of fellowship to give you an opportunity to serve, to use this hour and a half to edify you, encourage you, uplift you, and then send you out for the next six days to tell people about Jesus. That's why we meet. The problem with church is we've reached this point now where we just say, I can just get them in church. Now, literally, almost any message we do out here at Harvest, be it a Wednesday night or be it a Sunday, we, we have a gospel message in it, and we think that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You that have been coming out on Wednesday, you know we're going through the book of Revelation. And after every study in Revelation, we say this is all fine and dandy, but unless we know Jesus personally, what difference does it make? So, there will always be an opportunity to tell people about Christ. But the main emphasis of church is for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. And as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you're encouraged to go out and tell other people about the Lord. So, right here in verse 12, that excuse of, you know, I'm not perfect. Paul's not perfect. Don't let that hinder you. You're moving forward the goal of Christ Jesus, and that's what we're trying to do too. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. you got to put the past behind you and move forward. Listen, if you brought baggage in, if you brought a past in, aren't you glad that Jesus has forgiven, forgotten, and you can move on? The past is behind you. Jesus has forgiven, it's forgotten, and you move forward in the Lord. That's what Paul is saying right here. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. How and why do we want to live in the past? Have you ever met somebody like that that can't get past the past? Goodness, God's forgiven, he's forgotten, let's move on. And you may say, that may work for the Lord, but it doesn't work for my family. It doesn't work for my friends. They constantly want to remind me of my past. No, they just want to remind you, hey, Adam, you're forgiven in Christ. They want to bring you down that way, don't let them bring you up. And too often as Christians, we try to hide from the past. We just talked about this on Wednesday nights before, that the Bible refers to Jesus through Revelation as the Lamb that was slain. And that's led some people to believe that possibly through all of eternity, Christ hasn't stopped to come to Calvary. 
purpose of that is as we see Jesus through all of eternity, we see those prophets come through and we realize what it costs for us to have salvation. We're reminded of that. But what happens is some of us have passed. We've started. And now that when we get saved, we don't need to do what we used to do so much. I used to do often when I got saved was talk to my family. Say, what do you need to do to have this new start? Well, the truth of the matter is we all have scars. We all have a past. And God uses those scars in your past as a witnessing opportunity to you. I'm not saying you glorify the baggage, you glorify the past, but you also don't hide from the fact that this is what I was, but look at who Jesus has become. Paul had to do this. What did he do in verse 14? I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Keep moving forward This is what we need to do. We need to say if the gospel has impacted me, I want to see it impact other people. And so I keep moving forward, and I am not put to shame, as the first section of this verse says. If you're walking around in shame, I want to tell you it's totally unnecessary. You don't need to be ashamed. You need to say to me, shame on you. Let's move on here in Romans 10. So what do we get out of this? We don't want to have shame, verse 11. Verse 12, the gospel is open to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, Jew, Greek, it doesn't matter. The gospel is open to anybody. So therefore, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever means whoever. Aren't you glad you're part of the whoever? That it's open to anybody at any time, at any place, anywhere, that the gospel can come in and bring hope to you freshly. They can take that and grow with it. Now, do they always take it? Of course. I mean, some of you know this. You've experienced this. Some of you have have co-workers and you've done this for years and sometimes God opens the door and you take that door and you share and boy it's got some strange effects. As I've shared with you many times before when I first got saved it just seemed to everybody that stuff was just kind of in the dark. Why did they not want it? And then after time you start realizing well everybody wants it. So a lot of what we do is also just kind of I keep planting seeds and I just keep planting seeds in their lives and just wait for the next one. So I get the Bible makes it clear some plant some water but it's God who gets the increase. So my role may just be planting. I may just get to plant seeds of salvation into somebody. I may not get to see them come to know Christ. They may not come to know Christ until years, decades, months, whatever later. And it may not even be through me. It may be through somebody else. It's not a competition. It's not who can get the most people saved. We all have a different role. And it also works vice versa. You may run into somebody who somebody has prayed for them and planted seeds in them for years. And then you get to come to them and kick in the apple off the tree. They just want to know about Jesus and they're all ready. It's a team we're all working towards the goal of seeing people get saved. That's all that matters. That's the only thing that matters when you come. So, let's put this all together now. Verse 14 of Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. Very simply put, as it says in verse 14, is how are they supposed to hear the gospel unless they're telling them about the Lord? We just assume that someone else is going to tell them. Maybe you're the one that someone else is assuming is going to tell them. We hear, we believe, we go, unless they're the ones telling them. There's no greater honor or privilege than to share the gospel with someone else. That's the only thing we can do that makes an impact for all of eternity. I want to stress that again. That makes an impact for all of eternity. And as the gospel has changed us, we want to see it change into other people. As the Lord has made a difference in my life, I want to see it make a difference in other people. But unless we have impacted it personally, nothing happens. Some of you may be sitting and saying, well, what's God done in my life? What's he done for me? Why would I want to go tell anybody about this? Because what's the big deal? I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't say any stuff I should. If you don't understand what the Lord has done in your life, then don't want to go back and share it. Let me share it for you. Let's get back to the basics. And this is 
what's happened. I've heard people say this. So this is kind of an ambiguous statement I've heard from many people. What's God done for you? I say, I say, well, he died for you. Okay, yeah, but what else? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, what else? Well, he's got your chicken nuggets. I don't know. He died for you. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, what do you mean, what else? And this is what I used to hear. I know he died for me. I get it. I know. But, no, you don't obviously get it. Because if you got it, there's nothing else that has to be said after that. If he died for you, that is everything you need to know of how much he cares for you, loves for you, and has a plan and purpose for you, and gives you a progress to move forward. That's all you need to hear. If you're looking for more, then you're not getting it. sit there and try to point it out to him again and again, but it's just not coming. God bless our second son, Judah. He just can't see right from his face. We can all be standing there as a family and seeing this rainbow that takes up half the sky. Guys, you see the rainbow? Why is this rainbow so beautiful? Well, even little Layton sees the rainbow. He's like, I don't see it. Judah, it's right there. Do you not see the big rainbow? No, I don't see it. I mean, you do. You reach a point of almost just exasperation saying, I, I don't know what to say. And this is what happens. It's, it's neat to see our friend's vehicle. We were driving somewhere the other day, and Elias saw this really cool plane. And Elias was like, how do you guys see the plane? And I was like, I don't see it. And it's five miles between Judah. I don't see the plane. I don't see the plane. The plane could crash into our vehicle, and there could be a fireball. And Judah's like, I don't see the plane. And so the point is, there's some people that just don't see it. The Bible says there's a veil over their eyes, and you're sitting there saying, listen to my word. There is sin in your life. You've done bad things. I've done bad things. So therefore, we will go to hell. But if you go to hell, you're there forever and ever and ever. And so Jesus came and was the perfect sacrifice. He took the punishment. He paid for your sins. You can go to heaven. Yeah, I don't get it. You know what? We've all been there. I can remember Lynn Traeger witnessed to me for 50 years. I said, I have a lot of sin. I don't understand. And so if you know somebody's just not getting it, you need to just sit back and say, Lord, I plan to seize on their life, and I'm just going to pray that they come to it. What else can you do? Look here at verse 16. Actually, we jump ahead and look at verse 16, uh, 17. Verse 16, we've covered it, but they have not all obeyed the gospel of Isaiah, so the Lord hears the evil reports. Some don't get it, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing by hearing the word of God. This is why we make such an emphasis at church of, of being in the word, to the point of almost making you guys nauseous of hearing this statement. We will go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. Because we believe that is the best way to present the entire context of that. And, and, and I'm not picking on other churches when I say this, but I know a lot of other churches would say, well, we teach the Bible, and, and I'm glad they do. But to me, there's just something about being in the Word, going verse by verse and seeing what God has to say. And why? Because of verses like verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. My words will come back to you. They will. I can sit up here and talk for 45 minutes, and some of you walk out, and you'll say, hey, what happened at church today? And you'll sit there and say, I don't know. Aunt Jane said he can't see a rainbow. I don't know. I heard something that happened. Our words come back void. But when you get into God's word, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, it's like a sword that cuts right to the heart. And so, therefore, when I'm talking to people, I use God's word because I know God's word doesn't return empty. The Bible says that it actually does something. It completes a purpose. And so I will keep telling people God's word because that doesn't return void. And that's why it's vital for us as Christians to know the Bible. So that way when people come up and ask us questions, we know what to say and how to respond to those questions. Too often I hear too many people say, well, that's a good question. Well, I don't know. And I'm not opposed to you guys doing that. I don't want to make it sound that way. But you know what? Most of the time they won't They don't know the Bible. They don't have that emotional connection. And so therefore they know me. They feel comfortable and open talking to me. And that's why it's so important that we know what
Proverbs and Matthew and Mark says you can have all different types of people. Some people don't even know anything about the Lord, and they're starting right from square one. Other people know a lot about the Lord, and they see something on TV, and they're like, hey, you know, this thing about Israel maybe bombing Iran, and, you know, does this mean anything? Kaboom. You know the Bible. You can say, well, you know, what's that about? What's that about Jesus? And it's so important that we know share. It's a fun thing to share. It's, it's, it's such a blessing to share. And the Bible says right here, and the ones that are sent, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. You got good feet. Isn't it nice to have nice feet to go out there and do it? God says, I've given you feet to go out there and tell people about the Lord. That's the purpose of this. Too often as Christians, we hide our feet. We don't want to go out and do something with them. God says, I have designed you, I've created you for a purpose, and the purpose is to do, verse 15, bring glad tidings of good things. If you're feeling very empty in life, you feel very disappointed and discouraged in life, very simple question. When's the last time you had the opportunity to tell somebody about the Lord? That will energize you. You'll see a deeper purpose. You'll see the reason for life is to tell people about the Lord. But for us to impact others, we have to be impacted personally and understand and know what it means. The gospel so changes us that we want to see others change by the cross. Now, bringing this all together, there's so many different ways and opportunities and opportunities of how to share what we've been sharing with you. But I always get a lot of questions about this.
Thank you. 